0: Today on Act News Daily. The current harnessing systems that they had that were designed for oxen would physically cut off a horse's circulation and breathing because it didn't accommodate their vastly different muscular skeletal structure.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carnation. And Ashton, I've got to give a special shout out in case you've got any new listeners. I was just on a webinar earlier today for the Missouri Bankers Association. So hopefully we've got a few new listeners tuning in with us today. You know what, Delaney? I sure
2: hope that we do. And I have some, I guess, exciting news. At least I have a reason to kind of celebrate today. Well, lay it on us Ashton. Well, being a Texan, I'm pretty excited because today is the day that Texas marked its independence from Mexico. So I don't think a lot of people know that, but I mean, down here in in Texas, back in elementary school, maybe even high school, we had to take a credit of Texas history. So we learned quite a bit. So I'm I'm full of knowledge.
1: Well, that's awesome. Happy Independent State of Texas. Is that the right way to say it? I don't really know. I guess so. I mean, we don't really like actually celebrate, but it's, it's certainly an exciting day to think about. It certainly is for folks living in Texas. And I know we've brought in, you've brought in lots more folks that live down there, Ashton.
2: Well, Delaney, kicking things off, talking about some non-Texan news here. It is Sarah Week. I, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Not quite sure, but... This week is devoted to the energy industry and hosted by IHS Market. And Reuters has been reporting many stories from today's discussions, and I imagine that they will continue to report on them throughout the week, as will we. But kicking things off for today, Roberto Castello who is the chief executive of Petrobras, said that biofuels, especially those for the aviation industry, will be the key for decarbonizing transportation in the coming years. And Pretrobras is Brazil's state-run oil company, and it's also among the region's largest exporter of low-sulfur marine fuel. And as a side note here, the company aims to capture 25 million tons of carbon dioxide through 2025 while reducing emissions from its fossil fuel operations. But back to aviation biofuels, Those biofuels are considered biomass-derived fuels from plants or waste used to power aircrafts. And they produce lower CO2 emissions that conventional jet fuel does not, which makes them so much more attractive. And we've heard from a few companies that are aiming to produce these kinds of biofuels. I believe when we interviewed CoverCrest, we talked a little bit about that. So, folks, you might want to tune into that episode last month, I believe it was. It might have been in December. I don't, I don't know at this point, but. Now, I believe it's just a a matter of mass production and distribution, but I just kind of wonder if the aviation
1: industry will really take take to this change. Yeah, that'll be certainly interesting to keep an eye on, Ashton. It certainly will
2: be, Delaney, but what interesting things are you keeping an eye out on today?
1: Well... For today's webinar, we had a lot of great speakers, one of which was Eric Snodgrass of Nutrien, who's, of course, a big weather guy. And so weather is never ending subject in agriculture. And I've been continuing to watch, and he also mentioned it today during his portion of the presentation, continuing to watch South American weather. Well, it seems that Brazil is not going to get a reprieve from rains anytime soon, according to one of their meteorologists, top meteorologists for the country. He says that northern Monte Grasso area may get about 5.9 inches of rain here for the next week. They're saying that... Rain conditions should continue on until the weekend and may ease after Friday or Saturday of this week, but will resume again on March 10th. So these heavy precipitations, Ashton, are expected to continue to slow and delay Brazil's soybean harvest and has also been diminishing a lot of the nation's coffee areas and sugar areas as well. So there's really multiple markets here that are being impacted by these continued wet weathers wet weather and on the Argentinian side of things sounds like scattered rains are going to continue to move through late next excuse me they're going to move through the north until next Tuesday into maybe Thursday at the latest and could put some continued stress on farmers down there
2: Well, Delaney, talking about crops here, more specifically sorghum, because there are some exciting movements going on in the sorghum industry, specifically for U.S. sorghum farmers who are benefiting from increased export demand. Florentino Lopez, who is the director of international market development for the United Sorghum Checkoff Program, said that So far, this marketing year, international purchases total 233 million bushels, which is about half of the crop, and purchases are already being made for next marketing year, which Florentino says is pretty rare. And just to kind of put things into perspective, that grain hasn't even been planted for next marketing year. And China is the biggest buyer for next marketing year so far with a record 27 million bushels purchased four weeks into the current marketing year, which also set the record for the earliest purchase for the following marketing year. I keep saying marketing year. It sounds like a a fake word right now, but China is targeting sorghum for feed use biofuels and even alcohol for human consumption. Lopez says that the strong demand has boosted prices with a basis of $1.65 on the positive side since mid-February, which is an increase of $1.60 from last year and nearly a dollar
1: higher than the corn basis. Well, Ashton, switching tracks a little bit off of that news, I don't have any more crop news left except for markets for today, but I do have some dairy-related news. Producers who have selected the Tier 1 and Tier 2 levels of coverage under the Dairy Margin Coverage Program will receive payments for the month of January. The actual national average margin for January was $7.14 per hundredweight, and as a result of that... Folks that selected the Tier 1 margins coverage level will be protected under that, as well as folks that selected the Tier 2, which is anywhere between $7.50 and $8.00. So this is, of course, going to be the first uh, price trigger here we see in the new year. We'll have to continue to watch that to see if others other months uh, trigger that coverage as well. It's kind of a mixed bag, I guess, Ashton, because on the one hand, it's nice they have that coverage, but... If their coverage is getting triggered, it means that prices haven't been as stable margins and haven't been as good for dairy producers. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword there.
2: I like that term, Delaney, double-edged sword. We don't uh, use that kind of language a whole lot on the podcast, but I do like it when we do have some funky sayings. Thanks, Ashton. I used that one in my speech today, so it was top of mind for me. I get really bad about when I do use, you know, a a little funny saying or something like that. Like one time, I'll just keep using it over and over again until I'm like beating a dead horse with it. But anyway, I just have one other story to talk about today. And, you know, we have seen kind of mixed reviews. And, you know, I would say it's kind of leaning towards the uh, not so good side about how the ag industry farmers and ranchers are kind of responding to the Biden administration. But I, I think this might be an effort to win them over in their latest move. But Farmers and ranchers are going to have a voice in writing the Biden administration's plan for alleviating climate change. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack said that this new system will be designed by farmers for farmers. And a spokesperson said that the USDA will reach out to the agriculture sector in the coming weeks for ideas and how they're really going to do that. I don't exactly know, but I'm excited that the ag industry is going to play a key role here. The producers could see three new revenue streams from climate mitigation. They were income from carbon markets, which we're already kind of seeing from um, other companies, you know, not the USDA or government related. Um, but income can also come from conversion of agricultural waste into products ranging from chemicals to fabrics and capture of methane from manure for use as a renewable fuel. So lots of new and hopefully exciting things coming from the USDA to those farmers
1: and rangers. Absolutely, Ashton. And- We talked a little bit about this going back to my webinar today, uh, which I think ties in nicely. And that's the Biden administration's priorities since stepping into office have been focusing on working with farmers to address things like climate change and especially carbon credits. So I think hopefully farmers come to the table with an open mind. It's always interesting when we do see new administrations stepping in and transitioning how folks react to that. But I hope that uh, they actually do take farmers' needs and wants and opinions into consideration.
2: I certainly do too, Delaney, and I am excited to see what farmers and ranchers have to say. So folks, if you have any ideas on you know, how we can make some changes or anything like that, please do drop
1: us a note on social media. I think that this can be a very productive discussion. As do I, Ashton. But the only thing left to discuss today, in my opinion, is the markets. What do you say? Let's do it. Well, we certainly had a turnaround Tuesday here in the markets, as they say, with all grain markets higher today after yesterday's pullbacks. Kicking things off here in the March corn contract up 13 and a quarter cent to close at 560 and three-quarters. The May up six and three quarters cents to close at five forty-five. Soybeans today 21 cents higher in the March contract to close at 14.14. The May up 21 and a quarter to close at 14 and 14 14.12 and a half. Chicago wheat higher today as well as the March contract added 19 and a half cents to close at 663 and a quarter. The May up 16 cents to close at 666 and a quarter. Taking a look over at the livestock markets today, again mixed trade in the cattle complex. Live cattle higher with feeder cattle slightly lower. But the April live cattle contract today shed excuse me, added 45 cents to close at one nineteen forty-two and a half. and a half. The June up 25 cents to close at one seventeen seventy-five. Feeder cattle, as I mentioned, slightly lower today with the March contract shedding 67.5 cents to close at 136525 and a half. The April down 65 cents to close at one thirty-six fifty-two and a half. The April down sixty-five cents to close at one forty forty-seven and a half. and a half. And in lean hogs today, not quite limit down moves, but definitely some selling off today as the April contract shed $2.37 and a half cents to close at 85.35 the may down a dollar 65 to close at 87.92 and a half and rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures march 22 cents higher today to close at 16.34 the april up 39 cents to close at 17.80 ashton without further ado fill us in on who we're talking to for today's interview well today's tech tuesday interview is a rather unique one so let's go
2: ahead and kick it over to my conversation with jacqueline Krymowski. back. Well, today's Tech Tuesday interview is a bit different than what we normally talk about here on the podcast, And I'm very excited to have Jacqueline Krymowski, who is a freelance ag writer, journalist, and also has her own company, which I, Jacqueline, I'll let you talk about that here in a moment. But before we get into that, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much, Ashton. I'm really happy to be here. So like I said, you have your own company, you're a journalist, and I know that that can come with a lot of different responsibilities. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your experience as a journalist and a little bit more about the Herdbook Ag Media?
0: Yeah, so I have been full-time freelancing since last November, but prior to that, I actually started off after my first internship before I graduated. So it was like late 2017. And it kind of just been my side hustle for a while. Um, And a few years down the road, I was kind of looking for a career change. And I especially really, as I knew myself more as a professional and how I operated best, especially in a post-college life, that freelancing was something I needed that flexibility that uh, ability to work independently, create my own schedule, but also like utilize where I know my strengths are. So it it really I was very fortunate that having a lot of those skills I developed over the past couple years on a p- part-time basis, I was able to go out and build up my clientele. So today I do a mixture of things like for agdaily.com, just general ag news articles, but I also do um trade publications, technical magazines, as well as working with agribusinesses who kind of could need a whole lot of different stuff from me, whether it's press releases or blog posts or editing or scripting for events, social media work, uh, brochures, etc. I'm kind of like that one-stop shop for Um, In addition to the publishers, but also for those agribusiness companies that just kind of need a third party to come in and take some of those communications and media related projects off their plate.
2: So I'm sure our audience is kind of questioning why we have you on for a Tech Tuesday interview, Jacqueline. And you and I kind of know, so why don't we go ahead and hop into that conversation about your article on agdaily.com titled Like Today's Agricultural Technology, Thank the Middle Ages. And our very own Delaney Howell actually read this article, but unfortunately she isn't on the interview today. But it is very interesting. And when I think about ag technology, I do sometimes, you know, think about how far we have come, but that's more in recent years. But this article, I mean, it dates back to the Middle Ages. So why don't you kind of take us through your your thought process on why you decided to write this article?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, I in this case, my editor had approached me because he's a little bit of a hip history buff on the side. And he this is something he had kind of had toying around in the back of his mind. And it was it was something that. It's occasionally mentioned every now and then people will sometimes make a connection to, you know, like the, the invention of the plow or whatever, and associate that with the middle ages. But at the same time, it also kind of gets a bad rap in the sense that most people like to throw out that blanket term, it was the dark ages. Um, even though, you know, that was a relatively small fraction of hundreds of years. And Especially the way, the direction I took that in when he approached me with that as a topic is I had really noticed uh, late 2020 through now and probably much more in the future, um, ag tech and ag startups have been growing in leaps and bounds. And I really wanted to draw kind of that parallel about where a lot of that originally came from because i I feel that obviously throughout the massive history that is agriculture we we had a few really big turning points as far as our technology goes and such, but especially lately, I think with as fast as the ad tech sector is growing, people um it's it's so easy to forget what those pivotal turns were. Years ago, because I feel that before ag tech became the the big thing, a lot of people kind of assumed that farming had been more or less stagnant as far as new ideas or new technology, and of course, we know that's not necessarily true, but i I think so much, especially recently we've lost sight of how big certain very simplistic advancements were made by our forefathers hundreds of years ago. Uh, really, really changed everything, so that was that was my outlook as I approached this topic.
2: so you talk about the the turning points that we've had in innovations and in agriculture technology, and I'm glad that you did because that 's definitely something that I wanted to talk about because I mean I know about the invention of the wheel and and that kind of stuff, you know those bigger i guess turning points but what are some of the, um, the smaller turning points that you researched and, and wrote about that has really helped us develop into the ag tech realm that we're in currently?
0: Right. Well, I think one of the big ones, um, and because equipment and ag tech really do kind of go hand in hand, right? We use our tech to improve our equipment and our equipment is the reason we're able to have tech. So it's kind of like that symbiotic relationship And the thing that really struck me, though, was when we go like way back, you know, originally what you had was an ox or a horse and a plow. And what kind of uh, really was a little eye opening to me doing my research is obviously the plow has been around a very, very long time. It was used by the ancient Egyptians. But when. Civilization really started expanding, especially um, in that Eurasia type of part of the world. People were realizing that, you know, you needed significantly more substance to get into the ground and be like pulling up this dense earth that as more people moved into that part of the world and those populations expanded the technology developed by the very ancient world just wasn't up to par for changing regions and changing lifestyles and what was kind of like a big one to me is just how important with the development of the plow the horse collar was as we know it today um how really because when people realized that horses were faster than oxen they could cover significantly more ground the the current harnessing systems that they had that were designed for oxen would physically cut off a horse's circulation and breathing because it didn't accommodate their vastly different muscular skeletal structure especially from the head and lung or the neck to the lung capacity and you know it was it was a very significant problem because they were not able to have horses pull these heavy plows without having to take frequent frequent stops and delay progress or even at the expense of losing animals so as as seemingly inconspicuous as that was just a simple padded collar it's what it's leather it's wood you plop it over the horse's head and you're good that really without that We, the plow never would have gotten off the ground, so to speak, to be developed to what we have it today. And kind of in a similar way, you know, we don't really appreciate how even the very, very early foundations of agronomy, as far as crop rotation or spreading manure or think or balancing things throughout the season, um, really that was a lot of trial and error on you know the behalf of our fathers, but it it ended up working. And it's amazing to see how observant people were back in that day that they were able to really appreciate what small little tweaks worked and then stick with it. And I think by building the foundation, once we got the basics taken care of, then that really opened the door for innovators that would come a few generations down the road and things would just keep building and building off of each other um, to eventually kind of be where we're at today. I mean, essentially, all our technology and new ideas is when you peel back all the layers, as impressive as it is, it has a very basic foundation. And that, that was something I really found appealing. So
2: farmers in in this day and age I mean have the rotation of crops down i mean we are in such a good system of planting times harvest times and and all that good stuff but back you know in the middle ages they didn't really have that they once they invented the uh, the seasonal calendar which you talk about they really worked with the weather and the climate to you know increase yields and um use that to their advantage and i mean we're seeing a lot of technology rise up today that does deal with the weather but you know, back when they didn't, it was kind of, um, I guess, tricky. So, I mean, you did the research for this. So why don't you talk a little bit more about, you know, farming throughout the year, which is one of the, the sections in your article?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good, good point there. Um, Especially, you know, considering, again, this was a part of the world that had seen rapid human growth and expansion. When, And that was kind of like a first for that part of the world. Uh, Obviously, people had always lived there. But now you were getting cities, uh, civilizations, people expanding across whole continents. And um, it was really, to me, like what really stood out is how that was compared to the ancient world, right? When we're looking at the Middle East, uh, Northern Africa, et cetera, people had a much more favorable climate to an extent. Favorable climate for kind of growing things year round and being somewhat comfortable in that. Whereas, you know, when you're looking at Europe and even out towards Asia, it can be very volatile throughout the year and how important it is to really have developed that calendar type of system that would uh, acknowledge the cool weather Crops, the war, and like making sure, like it's like clockwork. You because if you don't take stuff off fast enough, you're not going to be able to get the next season's crop in. Or back then too, with food preservation, you know, things were not harvested at the right time, and you didn't give yourself ample time to prepare it and store it and put it away. It was going to be gone, and you didn't have time to uh, worry about that when you were getting ready for the next crop. And and so that was to me really kind of stood out putting in just how pivotal that calendar was and then also kind of like on that note and you mentioned this as well ashton how we have it down pat now we have down to a literal science because now we know this is a science we know how legumes work and how soybean fixes nitrogen or how um there are the different varieties, there's hybrids, etc. But it just blows my mind to think people back then had no idea. They literally figured out themselves. This is a cool weather crop. This crop grows well very specifically in this allotted period of time. This is ready to be harvested at this point. When this is harvested, we need to reprep the soil, we need to fertilize and need to get ready for this crop, which grows in this specific period of time. And All that was done without really understanding the the science or being able to go in and dissect and look at things and, and really start categorizing things. I mean, this was really just everyday people trying their best, seeing what worked and what didn't, paying excruciatingly close attention, and then when they found just the right fits, they would pass it on to their children. And so it would kind of go in this cycle. And, and that's how people really got that appreciation for the significance of the calendar and seasonal years.
2: So, Jacqueline, I just have one more question before I let you go. And it's not looking at the past like we have been, but rather looking towards the future of ag technology. With all of the research that you did for this article and what you're kind of hearing in the news wires, where do you think the future for ag tech
0: really lies? Yeah, I it's there's I feel like right now. Ag tech is like a tree trunk with a million branches and almost every day there's another little, little bud getting ready to like shoot off into another branch in another direction. And I, I think it is safe to say there will be no shortage of upcoming entrepreneurs and startups and finding investors willing to take chances on those. But I, I think it's going to take some time to see specifically what technologies are here to stay and what might not work kind of similar to what our ancestors did. It was that trial and error. And and so I am very excited to continue seeing these new ideas. But at the same time, I am like a little cautious before I put too many ag- or eggs in a certain basket. I'm I'm gonna kind of see and it's like, okay, this is a great idea in concept. On paper, I want I want to give the farmers time to play around with this, to implement this on their operations and and see what they have to say. And then time will kind of tell what technologies are going to be here to stay and what might kind of go to the wayside. But it is such an exciting time to be a part of agriculture. And I'm so glad I can be here for it. I agree with you 100% there, Jacqueline.
2: And I just want to thank you once again for coming on, talking about agriculture technology,
0: where we've been and where we're going to go. Well, thank you so much, Ashton. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful to talk with you and just kind of share and engage in this really exciting conversation.
2: Thank you again there to Jacqueline for coming on and talking to us today about her article on agdaily.com. It was certainly interesting. So, folks, I'll be putting it in this week's Global Ag Network newsletter. So be sure to sign up for that. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on social media at AgNewsDaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people
1: go? Let's let them go.